Turn your copy of God's Word to Isaiah 7:14, a familiar passage from Isaiah, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel. How can one baby make such a big difference? It's time to pay the tax. And somewhere on the outskirts of Bethlehem, which is already the outskirts of Jerusalem, a young Jewish girl gives birth to the most important baby ever born. Born in a barn because no accommodations were available for this poor expectant mother. The world had no room for the son of a poor Jewish carpenter. While the kings of the earth go on waging their war and the merchants were peddling their wares, the Bethlehem baby goes unnoticed by the busy inhabitants of the world. Yet the angels fill the sky and shout, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people everywhere. For unto you is born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. If he's so important, why not Jerusalem? If he's so important, why a carpenter's family? If he is so important, then why not a throne instead of a cattle trough? for an abode. The most significant birth ever to occur, occur in the world. And we missed it. All oh, but a, a few insignificant shepherds on the hillside miss the message of God on that night that is more holy than any other night. Reminds me of a cartoon the New York World, published in 1925, it's become a classic now. There are two Kentucky far farmers who are conversing over a picket fence, and one asks the other, anything new happened lately? The other responds, nothing much. A new baby was born over at Tom Lincoln's, but nothing exciting ever happens around here. We think of Tom Lincoln's son, Abraham, went unnoticed, and yet proved to be a man of courage and strength and healing, how much more so incalculable the Son of God. At the very onset, we should have known by the prophet that something is different about this baby. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. When the angel makes a great proclamation to Mary, she's going to have a child, she protests. She knows that it is more than unlikely. Actually, it is impossible. No, no, she says, it can't be. I'm a virgin. The angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. With little fanfare and no acclaim, 
The little Jewish boy slips on the earth during the night unnoticed and unwelcome and unrecognized and at least by Herod and others, unwanted. On that single night, everything changed forever. This is the eve of our salvation. Do we really understand this morning the magnitude of the angelic message? Do we really understand what it means for Christ to come and dwell among humanity? Can we appreciate what God has done in the sending of his son? How can one baby, one baby actually save the world? Well, first of all, that baby saves us from our sins. Isn't that what the angel said? Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people everywhere. For in the city of David there is born unto you a Savior. There's our word, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He saves us from our sins. This will be a sign you'll find the baby in hand-me-downs lying in a feeding trough. A Savior. How can one baby save the world. He is our Savior, the one to take on the sins of the world. In fact, his cousin, John the Baptist, who was six months older, there at the river, when he sees his cousin, the Christ, coming, he declares to everyone, maybe the great proclamation, the Johannine text, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here he comes. The one who will take away our sins, John the Baptizer says. Or in Matthew's account, when Joseph is told by the angel, it's okay, do not put Mary away, but you will take her as your wife, and she will bear a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. It's hard to understand how that baby could possibly bear the burden of our sins. It's hard to comprehend what Christmas means. Reminds me of the story of Bishop Brian Monk. The family of the bishop was getting ready to attend the Christmas Eve service. And his son said to him, are you going to let us enjoy Christmas this year? Or are you going to try to explain it to everybody again? Sometimes you probably feel that way about me. <laughs> Would you just let us enjoy Christmas? Are you going to try to explain it to us again? It's good news of great joy. He takes away the sins of the world. But it's hard to comprehend. How could God possibly love us that much? And why would Jesus be obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, the death of a criminal? Ponder, how could God give his son for us? The prophet Zechariah saw all this happening 300 years before it did. And he speaks for God when he says, I will pour out from the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. So they will look upon me, whom they have pierced, speaking of the Christ. 
and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over the death of the firstborn. Zechariah 12. Zechariah, 300 years before, sees what's going to happen and that the Son of God will be pierced for our transgressions. We will weep over him like one weeps for an only son. The cross is awful and appalling. Thomas Cahill rode on Calvary in the pause between the lancing of the Christ and the arrival of Nicodemus with his hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes and his lengths of linen and his permission from Pilate to remove the body and place it in a new hewn garden tomb and the deepest silence of human grief on that most terrible of the world's terrible hills. We recall the dry-throated prophecy of Zechariah rendered 300 years earlier. We have pierced him and we have mourned. He was bruised, bruised for our transgressions. This morning I ask you to wipe away the sleep and slumber from your eyes and see the gift of God in Christmas and hear the gospel, the good news, the Christmas message anew. The image of a crucified Christ haunts us. It haunts us because we know that it is our backs that should have been broken. It is we who should have been pierced. That we know and remember that the Christ of Christmas has died for my sins and your sins. Yes, one baby can make all the difference in the world by going to the cross, dying for you, dying for me. The message of the babe of Bethlehem, the angel says, it's the good news. Not a good news, but the good news. It is, in literal translation, it is the good word. Christmas is the good word that God loves us enough and that Christ has died and paid for our sins and we can live forever because of Calvary. John tells us in that most familiar passage, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That same John who wrote the Johannine gospel, the fourth gospel, writes in one of his epistles in 1 John, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are sinners and we need a Savior. We are sinners and we need the Christ of Christmas. We need God himself to put on flesh so he can have a back to be broken and blood to be shed and tears to be wept that we can be forgiven. How can one baby possibly save us? He saves us from our sins. He who do no sin becomes sin for us. Therefore, because Christ has died for your sin and my sin, we don't have to go through life dragging the baggage behind us of yesterday's failures and sins. They are forgiven. They are forgotten by God. 
Would you like Christmas tell you this year that God really has forgiven you? God really has forgotten your sin? That the Christ of Christmas has come and died in our place that we can be redeemed and forgiven. There's a second way that baby makes all the difference in the world. He saves us from ourselves. He saves us from our sins. And secondly, he saves us from ourselves. By nature, we are very shellfish people, are we not? That's just the way we're born. If you don't believe me, we have these big red buggies that take our baby Baptist brethren up and down the hallways and keeps them entertained. And it goes like this. The teacher hands out a cracker. I've never seen one of those toddlers say, until I make sure there's enough for everyone, I shall not bite my cracker. And I've never seen a toddler pass it down. Not once. In fact, what I have witnessed with my own eyes in that baby buggy of Baptist brethren, <laughs> I've noticed the baby can have a cracker in his hand and already be licking on it, and he'll reach over to his neighbor and yank their cracker away. That's the way we're born. We're not born to say, hey, let's make sure you get your share. We are born grabbing. Mine is the word with which we're born. Ever had your son say to his sister, hey, you go ahead and take the big piece of cake this time. I think I had it last time, if I remember correctly. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen to babies. It doesn't happen to adults. We are by nature selfish. Malcolm Muggeridge, who's described as a supremely secular British curmudgeon, visited a, an Indian leprosarium run by the Missionaries of Charity, the group founded by Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Now, Malcolm Mudridge always thought that secular humanism was the very best, most operable view of all things true. But while strolling through that leprosarium, he realized this facility built by love for those who are caring for the least of these, those who are outcast by every other measure of humanity, he realized right then and there that a humanist outlook cannot take care of lepers. That humanists do not build leposariums to offer humane treatment and love to the outcasts, to overcome their lifelong experience of human cruelties, requires more than what we as humans can offer. Right then and there, the insight flooded Muggeridge's mind. Humanists do not run leposariums. Christians do. He came to save us from ourselves, from our selfishness, to change who we are on the inside. By nature, we take care of ourselves and not others. We're reminded this morning of the minor prophet Amos who came after the rich. 
indicted the Israelites for trampling on the poor while the wealthy were building their second, third, and fourth stone mansions. The people of his day, they deprived the poor of justice by bribing the judges. They sold the needy for a pair of sandals and denied justice to the oppressed. In fact, when Jesus comes and begins his ministry in the Lucan Gospel in chapter 4, he comes saying he preaches good news to the poor. We are, by human nature, a selfish and greedy people. Scripture itself is a record of all the selfish acts of humanity, is it not? Think back in the Old Testament, it begins all the way back when Lot chooses the greener ground and leaves his uncle Abraham for the dry ground. Or Ahab looking over and mourning his neighbor's vineyard. Murdering Naboth to seize his neighbor's vineyard. Or King David stealing Uriah's wife. Or Achan hiding the stolen goods under his tent. And the New Testament's disciples arguing over who will be seated at the right and the left hand of the Messiah when he comes into his kingdom. Or it's the prodigal son saying, give me what's mine, I'm done with you, Dad. Or the older son who can't even see the redemption of his brother, but more is worried about what he might have lost in the fortune of the family. Yes, from David of the Old Testament to the disciples of the New Testament, we are plagued with the idea of self. And the Christ of Christmas can save us from ourselves. The birth narrative, the Matthean account, we learn about the ideas of Herod the Horrible. I just can't call him Herod the Great. Herod the Horrible. The angel Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and says, Arise and take this child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy the child. Joseph arose, Matthew 2, and took the child and his mother by night, and they departed to Egypt. Herod could not accept the fact that someone else might take his place. Herod could not accept the fact that someone else might have his power. Herod could not accept the fact that someone else might receive praise. So in the center of his selfish humanity, all about himself, rather than bowing down and welcoming the new king, his murderous spirit destroys the Bethlehem babies because it's his throne and his people. We're all, unfortunately, within ourselves, in our fallen nature, in Adam, we are Herod. But there's something about that Bethlehem baby that can save us from our own self-centeredness. That Bethlehem baby this morning can save us from ourselves. There's a story of a monk who found a, a precious, valuable stone. He put it in his sack. Then on his journey, he came across a, a fellow traveler who said, Will you share your provisions with me? And as the monk reached into the sack, the fellow traveler, needy and weary, saw that precious stone and just blurted out, Can I have it? Would you give me the stone too? And the monk reached in the sack and he gave the weary traveler 
the stone, and he quickly ran away before the monk could change his mind. A few days passed, and the monk came back and gave, I mean, the traveler came back and gave the monk back his stone. He said, what I really want you to give me is whatever is within you that allowed you to give me this stone in the first place. What I really want you to give me is whatever is within you that allowed you to gift me the precious stone in the first place. The baby can save us from our selfish ambitions. We find purpose in something beyond who we are and, and what we have. Do you understand how important that is? Without the gospel, life comes down to how much wealth can we amass, how can we satisfy our own selfish desires, and how can we please ourselves with pleasure. Do you understand what we're reduced to without the Christmas story? Can you see this morning how one baby saves the world? That without him, we're nothing more than individuals fighting over the biggest pile of chips. Without him, we're nothing but nations rising against nation, trying to expand the boundary lines by going to our neighbor's border and moving the line. By nature, we do not share. By nature, we hoard. By nature, we do not serve others. By nature, we serve ourselves. Fred Craddock tells a story of a missionary sent to preach the gospel in India toward the end of World War II. After many months of preaching the gospel, it came time for him to be on furlough and to be called back to the stateside. His church wired him the money, told him to go to the port city. When he got there, he discovered a boatload of Jews who'd been allowed to land temporarily. It was the days when the European Jews were sailing all over the world, literally looking for a new place to live. These particular Jews were now staying in the attics and the warehouses and the basements all over the port city. It happened to be Christmas Day. And on Christmas morning, the missionary, the Christian missionary, went to one of the attics where the scores of Jews were staying. He walked in and said, Merry Christmas. They looked at him like he was crazy and said, but we're Jews. He said, I know that, but what would you like for Christmas? In utter amazement, the Jews responded, well, we'd like some pastries. We'd like some really good pastries like those we used to get in Germany. So the missionary went out and he used all the money he was supposed to to have for his fare back to the state size, and he bought pastries for all the Jews he could find staying in the port. Of course, he had to wire home and ask for another fund to get passage back to the states. Not surprisingly, the superiors asked, we always sent you the money, what happened to that money? And he wired back and said, I used it to buy Christmas pastries for Jews. His superiors wired back, why'd you do that? They don't even believe in Jesus. He said, I know, but I do. The baby saves us from our selfish selves. 
The Bethlehem baby saves us from our selfish ambitions. Well, we can think beyond ourselves to those around us. Michael Iaconelli tells a story about a deacon in his church that wasn't deaconing very well. He might call him a deadbeat deacon. He wasn't doing any of the things that deacons are supposed to do. Finally, the pastor trying to re-engage his deacon into missions and ministry said, our student ministry is going to the care facility once a month to hold a worship service, and could you at least drive them to the care facility so they can hold the worship service? Okay, the deacon said, that's something I can do. So once a month, he would drive the youth ministry over to the care facility so they could hold a worship service. That first Sunday, the deacon was there in the senior adult care facility. He was in the back with his arms kind of folded to himself and watching the kids doing their thing up front. All of a sudden, there was a, a tugging at his arm, and he looked down. There was a man who pulled up beside him in a, a wheelchair and wanted to hold his hand. So the deacon held the man's hand for about an hour during the entirety of the worship service. The next month, the same thing repeated. The next month, the same thing. Once a month, he would go to the care facility and hold that old man's hand for about an hour. The next month, the next month, next month, the next month. Then one month, the old man wasn't there. The deacon inquired and was told, oh, he's down the hall. He's at the bed, he's dying, but you can go pray over his body if you'd like to. The deacon took the man's hand and he prayed that God would receive this man. He received the grace of glory and have eternal blessings. As soon as he finished the prayer, the old man squeezed his hand and surprisingly to those around him, the deacon knew that he had been heard. He left the room slowly and silently. And as he stumbled out of the room, he bumped into a woman. He's been waiting for you, the woman said. He said he didn't want to die until he had the chance to hold Jesus' hand one more time. The deacon was amazed and said, what are you talking about? My father would say that once a month Jesus came and held his hand for a whole hour. I don't want to die until I have the chance to hold Jesus' hand one more time. Christmas works. We let Jesus carry us into unfamiliar territory the neighbor's home, the nursing home, the mission field. Who confuses your hand for the hand of Jesus? Who confuses your feet for the feet of Jesus? Who confuses your words of encouragement for the words of Jesus? The Savior comes and saves us from ourselves. How can the birth of one baby change absolutely everything? How can this single solitary life make all the difference of the world? How can he save the world? 
He saves us from our sins. And he saves us from ourselves. The birth of this baby really does change everything. Isaiah, so long ago, behold, the impossible is about to be possible. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will name him Emmanuel, meaning God himself is in our midst. Oh, God, we come to you this morning trying to explain the inexplicable, trying to understand and fathom the impossible, that God would put on flesh to save us from self-destruction. Maybe there's someone here live streaming or watching on television or someone here in this great sanctuary, and this would be your morning to say, I need to be saved. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved by a Savior of Bethlehem. If so, just pray in your heart, oh, God, just do it right now. God, I'm a sinner. I confess the Bethlehem baby is my Christ. I accept him as a gift of Savior. Maybe there's others here. Maybe some of you need to call in to join First Baptist Church, or maybe some in this room to come forward and say, I want a church family. I want a place to gather around that cradle And to be at the foot of the cross and rejoice at the empty tomb. This will be my church family. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.